Pelotero Pickle episode 53. We have a special guest, UTSA softball coach Carlton Salters. We get all into baseball, softball, tech, player development, and recruiting. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle episode 53. We've got a special guest with us today. But first, reminder to send us your questions, your tweets. You can email us at pickle at pelotero.com or tweet at us at Pelotero Pickle. We love hearing from you. We like incorporating your questions in the show. So please send us all your questions, topics, concerns, all of that stuff. Special guest, Carlton Salters, softball coach at UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio, joining us from his beautiful new office at their beautiful new facility up there. And as always, Chris Colabello with his dog, Clutch. How's everybody doing? Carlton, start with you. Doing outstanding. Uh, kids, some kids started showing up yesterday. Some of them are getting moved in today and throughout the rest of the week. So excited to get them back and get ready for the fall. How you doing, Chris? I got clutch in my lap, man. He's just he's here. He's rocking it, taking over the world. He's almost about to fall asleep, sitting straight up. So he's Pretty so impressive. bad. He's he's such a bad breather. He's right into the microphone now. Yeah, now you just got to you got to hear it first, <laughs> first hit. All right, now, I, go I put ahead, him go down, ahead. and now he's just going to jump up my leg the whole time. He's we're doing the show. Just tell him to take a nap. Just tell him, just shut it down. I would turn the camera to watch. He's doing carpet circles right now to scratch his own belly. Yeah, we we have video of that somewhere. Maybe we can superimpose that. This is for podcasts anyway, so we don't need to do that. Let's uh, let's jump right in. So Carlton, we've known each other. Man, I don't even know how long. Probably like eight years now. 2013, 15. I was still trying to play then at that point. Yeah. So I want to get I want to get into your whole kind of background because you went from playing football and then trying to play baseball, and now you're a softball coach. Let's go all the way back to like high school. Tell me about your high school playing career. Like was was football your passion over baseball? Give me like t- tell me tell me about your your high school <sighs> athletic career. I got to move way back. Okay. Uh, so I played for, I, baseball was my passion. I played baseball my whole life, T-ball all the way through. Didn't actually play football until I was ninth grade and kind of got peer pressured by some of my friends into playing football. So played football, played basketball, played baseball. I really wanted to play baseball, but the, as you guys know, it's 11.7 scholarships in college, like just not feasible for my family. So went the football route. Uh, played four years at Arkansas, played a year of baseball there, uh, switched coaches with Bobby Petrino. Uh, so played a lot more, you know, my last handful of years. Uh, body got beat up towards the end there. Football decided I wanted to try and give baseball another shot. Um, signed, you know, undrafted free agent contract with the Giants. Was there in the organization about two years. Then played about whew, five or six years on and off of independent ball. You know, started getting up there in age like everybody does, not really going anywhere. So ended up uh, volunteering at Florida State. Uh, coached there for two seasons, really started to like softball. And then uh, ended up getting the job here at UTSA. And I've been here since spring of 2018 was my first year. Uh, now I'm going on my, let's see if I can remember this correctly, third full season, fourth year or fifth year and fourth full season, something like that. But I came here in like January when the season was going to start. So Arkansas football, that's, I mean, that's pretty big time college mm-hmm. football. 
what was that experience like compared to like culture wise compared to what you experience now in either baseball or, or softball now as a coach, but like how intense was D one power five football? Well, looking back on it now, I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I was when I was in the moment uh, as I do now. Uh, I mean, practices were intense. I played with Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, Ryan Mallett. So, you know, those are probably the bigger NFL names around when I was there that time. But, you know, most of the guys that were really good I played against are kind of on the tail end of their NFL careers. You know, you're looking at Julio, Patrick Peterson. Uh, I played against Percy, Harvin. I mean, some really, really good football players, some all pros. Uh, and so just the intent, what I learned most from football was being able to take care of your body, uh, showing up every day and bringing it every day. And you kind of control your own fate a little bit. I had guys that I came in with me. I, had, I remember a kid from, from Bainbridge, Georgia, named Malcolm Shepard, a little undersized, but man, he had a motor. He ended up playing four years, four years in the NFL just because of how hard he played. Like he didn't come from much. I remember he, we took him home one Christmas. And we drove like way out to like kind of like a small like trailer park community. And it was like, Malcolm, how do you get to, you know, how do you get to school every day? He's like, oh, I walk. It's like, you what? He's like, yeah, I walk seven miles. I walk seven miles each way to get home and back. That's why I had to stop wrestling because I got home, I would get home too late. And like at that, like stories like that, you'd be like, you know what? Your desire is a little bit different than mine. Like I didn't have to walk to school. Like in the back of your mind, you're like, if I don't make this happen or make this work, like, I'm not going to have anything. Like, I'm not walking anymore. I'm going to figure out a way to get a couple years in to get some get some savings so I can have, you know, like, that's a little bit different than, than most people's desire. And so, I, but I played with a bunch of guys that were like that. And you start to understand how life circumstances and things of that nature can influence people's decisions and people's desires and things of that. And it's just things that you kind of remember or I've kind of remembered as I've gone through coaching. It's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. There was, a, uh, there was a, a viral tweet that was going around uh, I forget the announcer's name, but he did a speech at, at uh, Alabama football. And he was he, the whole, like, I, I got to versus I get to that whole mindset and, and being appreciative and having just a different mindset. And you, you definitely encounter people in your life where you're like, whoa, this, this is different. This, this is, is, this is on a different level than I'm accustomed to and, and even per- have any feel for. So mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, you, you never know so many circumstances. You don't ever you, know what's going on behind the scenes in the back you, of their head. You really don't until you until you start talking to them. And I know a lot of guys that I've met, I, I had a, a friend of mine that was in the wide receiver room that got about two years in before he just got injured. Uh, same thing. Uh, didn't really have any parents. He, he just kind of lived with different family members growing up. And, like, when we first showed up as freshmen, I mean, his mentality and his, his work ethic were – just different you're like you know as people you're like well that guy's just weird like he, he always wanted it. but then like you start to spend some time with him and you realize like man this dude ain't never really had a house this dude's never really had like a consistent roof over his head and he sees this opportunity is if i do the things that i need to do and i can make it to the nfl for a couple of years like i got a chance to have a consistent roof above my head like i just i never had that so i don't know so but that's the guy that you're competing against with that type of mentality so you, you kind of start to realize like how some dudes make it and some dudes don't. Sports can create uh, a, a, a great perspective about how, how to compete, right? We, if, you, if you just talk to your, your average, and not to say that non-athletes can't have this kind of mindset, but 
you see all people from all different walks of life in sports that, and then you understand how people achieve things. Right. And then I think that's why from the outside looking in a lot of times or from the inside looking out, when people say they can't do things, it's kind of mind boggling or mind blowing to us. And we sit there and shake our heads and say, well, you know, all you have to do is come with it. If you come with it every day, if you post up, you'll figure out how to get to the place you want to go. Cause at the end of the day, I don't know. It's, it's interesting stuff to me to hear stuff like that. And certainly I think we've, we've all come across our own stories like that, but these are super powerful. And I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's cool for people to hear. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it a lot. Like I said, I appreciate it a lot more being able to sit back and reflect and, you know, now I'm coaching young ladies and, and trying to lead and, and motivate and things like that. And you sit back and think about some of the guys that came through in the same room as you uh, or on the same team as you. And you're like, Oh, that's why that guy was like that. Like, I, I get it now. And he made it for however long. Like, I get it now. So that makes me think before we started recording, you were telling me about the pictures behind you on the wall. I know based on your social that getting some pictures up on your wall was very meaningful to you. Very special. And you said that it's sparking a lot of conversation. People are asking how you, how you get on the wall. So t- tell me what you were talking about earlier in terms of what those pictures mean to you. Cause I think this is really cool. And, and a big part of the recruiting process is understanding your coaching staff and understanding what they're about. And this was, this is really cool here. I want you to talk about the, the pictures behind you and why they're there. All right. So over my, I guess that would be my, it looks to you like my right shoulder, but on the, over my right shoulder right there, uh, finishing the swing. That's Bailey Baldwin. So Bailey Baldwin was with me for two years, uh, doubled her output as far as home runs. Her first two years, she hit 15. Uh, the next two years with me, she hit 30. Uh, I think she cut, she went from averaging, she cut like her extra base hit was like once every 11 at bats. With me, it was like once every six. Uh, so doubled her offensive output. Uh, Bailey's up there. Uh, not just because of the, the 19 homers our first year together, but uh, more so to remind me, like, this stuff actually works. Like, you can actually go in, build a relationship with one person, they can make some changes, and you can take someone that does some things pretty well already, clean some stuff up, and they really take off. So, you know, seeing her, first person that, that ever really did some things and made some changes and really took off. And so, to me, like, I remember, obviously, the 19 home runs, but more so, like, this stuff actually works. Um, if you put the time and the effort and you get with some people that can really help you. So below her, it's kind of tough to see with the lighting, but that's Celeste. Celeste just graduated. Um, Celeste uh, was with me for three years. Uh, her last year, she tripled her her total bases output in half the season that she did in the three years combined. I think in her first three years combined, she had 31 or 32 total bases. And I think halfway through the last year, she had 60 in half in half the season. Uh, set the career triples record, also the career stolen bases record here. Uh, so that's what she did on the field. Off the field, uh, what she reminds me of is someone who went from was a slapper, was a really short gamer. Um, you know, with help of tech and stuff, I kind of showed her, hey, this is what you could really end up being is someone who can stand in with extra base power. Um, that year that she set those, she doubled her total basis she hit seven homers which was a career high in half the amount of time uh again like I said set the triples record uh so to me with her it's someone who can almost totally remake themselves um if given good guidance if given good structure and someone that's willing mentally to go from being one type of player to being a completely different player uh within a time frame that they're here so 
next to Bailey on the right there, that's Riley Grunberg, who will be an upcoming senior. Um, Riley led the tide for the conference lead last year in home runs with 14. Riley's uh, super mentally tough, uh, engineering major, very, very smart. She's one kid that I have to speak to in terms of like actually use the anatomy and the physiology of what really happening. Uh, she's a kid that'll look at me and I'll be like, all right, Riley, like, you know, your hands are getting a little bit low, you know, you know, maybe you need more side bend or something like that. And she'll just kind of look at me and she'll like demo it and I'll demo it. And she's like, so you just want my bat to be more perpendicular to the ground. It's like, yes. It's incredibly literal. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, you're, like, you're like, yes, that's exactly what I want. She's like, why don't you just say that? It's like, bro, I don't think like that. Like, <laughs> You think like that. But like, she's, she's that type of kid where you literally have to be literal to her exactly. And she's like, okay. And then she'll just, she'll just be able to just do it. Yeah. Um, she's uh first uh, person that I'll, I'll have for, for four complete years, uh, concluding the fall. Uh, thing that Riley reminds me of is there's a lot of mental toughness there. I was on her really hard as a freshman um, because I saw what she could be and someone that really stayed the course. And like I said, last year tied for the league lead in home runs. Uh, also, Riley started out as a walk-on. So she was a walk-on that was originally committed to a Division II school. They had a coaching change. She was like, uh, want to look elsewhere, ended up coming up here. Walked on was a walk-on her first year. Um and now is, you know, like I said, lead the conference, tied for the conference lead in, in home runs. So underneath her is Taylor Medina, who will be a junior. Um, Taylor, someone with tremendous ability. Uh, the biggest thing, Taylor hasn't hasn't had quite that breakout year that we've been looking for yet, but I expect it to happen here in the next couple of years. Uh, the thing that Taylor reminds me of or, or has challenged me the most with is it doesn't have to look a certain way to be to work like Taylor's made me lay a lot of earlier biases that I maybe had that you got to do this you got to do that you got to do this you got to do that and it's like dude this kid finds the middle of the bat like can we make some things as far as timing and posture and stuff better yes but why are we hunting and going after these small little things when the grant and when the grand scheme of it is this kid just got to hit and this kid just hits so Let's time the ball a little bit better. Let's get our posture a little bit. Let's stop worrying about these small, tedious things and keep like, do this, do that, do this, do that, to where you you almost talk the kid into confusing them versus like, hey man, posture's got to be good. You know, stay under the shoulders and go get them. Like you're 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 a good player. Go out there and be a good player versus filling them up with a whole bunch of stuff because you're trying to clean up or get some small thing to be exactly the way that you think it should look. So you go a little farther. So there's three of them. We won't talk about Bailey's at the end. We won't talk about her again. But right here is uh, Kendall Brooks, who's a catcher. She will be a junior as well. Uh, really good catch and throw kid. Uh, she's the first kid that we tested in the, in the lab uh, when we first got access in there where I actually started to find that there's some correlation between uh, what numbers a kid is able to produce and then what they're able to do on the field. Uh, her freshman year, I think she hit, she hit like five or six home runs within the first two weeks, and then she got injured, which was unfortunate. And then she was still dealing with that injury a little bit the last couple of years. Hopefully she's healthy now and can put up uh, the type of year that you know we think she's capable of. A uh, big thing that Kendall reminds me of is persistence. So Kendall is, is a person who has really strong leadership qualities, uh, really tough mentally and physically. But Kendall is one that uh, if you waver or if one week it's this and then the next week it's this 
and then another week it's this, it's she's gonna be like, all right, you don't know what you're talking about. But like, if you always keep the message consistent with her, she will she will start to trust you. But Kendall trusts consistency and people that show up the same every day, whether it's going good, whether it's going bad, whether it's going to whatever, however it's going, she trusts people that are consistent. So it reminds me like, whether we're swinging the bat really well, swinging the bat really poorly, you know, beating people, losing, like you got to show up and be the same every day. Like you got to show up and you got to bring it every single day. Or as soon as you start to waver as the team is going, you could start to lose some people and, and you'll always be up and down and inconsistent. So she's made me, Kendall's made me branch, make sure that I bring it every day, regardless of what's going on outside of that. And the last person is in the middle there is Haley Garza. Um, so Haley, if you look on the field wise, didn't do a whole lot. Uh, but Haley was part, Haley and Bailey graduated in the same year, which I'll even show you guys this. So in order to get actually on the desk, you got to do, you got to be really personal to get on the desk. So Haley and Bailey are actually on my desk. Um, and the reason for that is, is Haley and Bailey uh, were the two that when I first got here, led kind of started to lead the culture change in our program as far as this is what Coach Carlson wants. This is what he's trying to get us to do. This is what we're going to do. And they kind of rallied the locker room and the rest of the team into starting to try and go the direction that we're, we're going now, as far as getting the kids in that we want, um, starting to do things, you know, from a weight room standpoint and start to tie everything in. Those two really started to lead the charge. Um, Haley made all the changes necessary that she needed to do. Um, we had a really, really excellent fall before her senior year. Uh, before her senior year in the spring, she got, she got a concussion before opening weekend. So she was out for opening weekend, came back, started to play really well. Um, she had three hits in three games in the opening conference series. And the last game of that series, she blew out her Achilles. Um, so was out for the year after playing, you know, putting all that time in, all that work in. And, you know, I think it was 13 or 14 games done for the year. Um, so there's an article on my WordPress that I had Haley write that talked about putting all that time and all that effort in and then having it all taken away from you and being a good teammate and being uh, someone that's obviously upset, but not going to like just wear it and bring down the whole team or the program because you're not playing. So Haley's on the wall because she did, because she helped start to lead the culture shift and because she's the best teammate uh, that I have ever been around uh, to do all that, to set yourself up, to have a really good year, to start to do the things like on mm -hmm. the field, in practice, in scrimmages, um, like I said, in the fall against other teams where you're like, you know what, like Haley's going to have a really good year and then do that in three consecutive games. And then it all be gone because you, you, you celebrate, you maybe you jumped up, you know, to chest bump a teammate to celebrate the last out of a, of a victory and your Achilles goes pow. Stuff. <clears throat> so essentially you walk in that office and all those pictures represent values to the, the UTSA program and values that, that you have as a coach as well. It's a great thing to do. I, in our office, we got some some Statcast stuff up. There, I always think about different quotes and stuff to get, but I think using using players as that kind of image of that value is a cool way to do it. Um, and I joked around before we started recording. How do you get on the wall? You got to be good. And then you were like, No, no, no. You don't have to be good. Like performing wise, it's it's about who you are as a person and who you are as a teammate and things like that. So pretty cool. I like it. I got plenty of space up here to add more people uh the kicker is 
you probably got to be, you got to be, it go through at least two years before you even consider that. Cause after one year, I mean, anybody can come in and have like a one year wonder, like I, we still don't really know each other. You know, there ain't no scouting reports on you or anything like that. Like, let's see you do it for a couple of years and you start to grow into some leadership role and some character stuff and go through some adversity and work your way through it. And, and then you start getting into the consideration. To go it's like it. the Hall of Fame. You can't you can't get in before a certain amount of time out the game. You can't. I mean, like, I like it. I like it. So just one more thing about UTSA and the, the new complex. What is what are you most excited about with with all of the new equipment, all of the new buildings, the, the, the turf field, the everything. I know you're getting your, your cage area redone with turf and lighting and new nets. What are you most excited about from all of that? There's a huge investment from the university. Uh, that's probably actually the one thing that I'm excited about is being, you know, being at Arkansas, understanding what football brought to the university, how it helped filter the other sports, how it helped get them going. Um, the investment from the university because UTSA hasn't had a new athletics building 15, 18 years and no new athletics building of any type. And being on that, being on that side, I know the first one's the hardest one to get, get off the ground. The first one's the hardest one. Once the first one goes up and everybody looks around and they're like, Oh, okay. I see it. Then the, the ones after that start to get a little bit easier to get going. Um, so the thing I'm excited about is, is the university and the city, uh, investing in an athletics program. Uh, I mean, we could sit here for two hours and I could talk about the things that are in here that we can do, uh, but just excited to see investing in the student athletes, um, investing in the coaching staffs, uh, just investing in the university as a whole and, and excited to see as we start to get accustomed to this and bringing people through um, and we start to get started on the other facility projects, what ends up happening here at this university. Chris, they, do they have any big investments like that at Assumption College? Yeah, my senior year, they kicked me off my field so they could build a football stadium. That was cool. I didn't get to play my home games my senior year. They were, they were, uh, we had gotten a new AD. And, I, I, you know, I was not highly recruited, obviously. Um, that's why I went to Assumption. And people were like, what, you, you made an Assumption? No, 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 I went to Assumption. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, as I went there, I, it became very clear to me that we only cared about basketball at our school. We had 12 scholarships on both sides and no other sport had athletic money. And our tennis program was lights out. We had one of the best tennis programs in the country. Uh, I'm actually still close with the tennis coach that was there. And I could never understand. I, I always had that growth mindset, right? Even when I was in school, I kind of acknowledged the fact that it was my responsibility to try to help build the program. And, uh, I tried to do everything, student athlete advisory committee. Uh, you know, I was one of the two student athletes who uh, met with the board of directors, had a good GPA, was asked to do this, that, and the other thing. And I, I always thought it was about growth, right? I thought schools were all about the mindset of growing and, and, and helping and, and developing things for, for the future generations of, of people coming in. And I came to terms with the fact that uh, my college didn't really care. And so when I get to look at what you guys are doing down there, it's pretty cool because it's something I wish I had, um, you know, in the time that I've left assumptions, put up a new backstop like, and <laughs> two new dugouts in the baseball on the baseball side. Oh, and there's like a full-time fence now because the football field that got built is turf. So instead of having a snow fence that we had to take down for soccer to play. So in the 20, 16 years since I've graduated, there's a fence, two dugouts and a backstop. 
So there's that. Next time you come down here, we'll take a drive down and you can, it's a big campus. It's pretty legit. It was way bigger. I didn't, I really didn't know too much about the school going in. I've obviously talked to Carlton a whole bunch and the, uh, he, he was taking me around and we were looking at the facilities, really nice basketball arena. I thought better than anything like better than vermont's yeah we were idiots for staying in the northeast yes like, do you realize how good a world there is out there I, <laughs> yeah college, needed, college sports in the south are just we needed different. to explore uh, and broaden our horizons the problem was my dad was like oh roster at the university of san diego is all west coast kids and i, I said what does that have to do with anything he's like oh he scared me he thought i thought like it was illegal to play anywhere you know west of like you know kentucky you would have loved San Diego. In, golly, my godfather lives out there. It was you would have loved, loved it. Yeah, I was teed up. I was teed up. I saw yeah. pictures of Pepperdine's field, and I'm like, I want to go to Pepperdine because it's like the whole backdrop is the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. Santa Barbara is beautiful. I Santa Barbara might be the nicest place it. on earth. That's, I'm going to retire there someday on Shoreline Drive. I'm going to need Pelotero to really pop off to do that. Ooh, yeah, you are. Beautiful. It's just like overlooking the the bay oh beautiful another another life after pelotero uh <clears throat> let's get into some more specific stuff with hitting obviously we know each other you uh you had reached out to me however long ago and we did like a was it a skype call at the time it was a skype was, call yeah, it was skype. On, <laughs> it wasn't no zoom in i'm trying to did i i think i took my laptop out this is my laptop on my phone and setting it up on a chair trying to figure it out you were, that's the time you were talking about like, Hey, you ever held a dumbbell? Like, I know you hold dumbbells and then you're like, and so you're like, get your arm. Like if you're holding a dumbbell and you would tilt the dumbbell up like this, I'm like, what is this guy talking about? But I get that lead arm up. Yep. I trying to, trying to find different feels. Yeah. He, he, when the lead arm stuff confused me too. Don't worry about it. He, so you have to understand before we get into this, when Bobby and I first started talking about hitting, I think the first time he was trying to like, I, I gave him the green light to like tell me stuff in the cage. He said something to me about feeling my femur turning under my pelvis and making sure my tailbone really got turned toward the pitcher as my, my butt drifted backwards. And I said, what? I said, bro, I ain't never talked about my femur ever in the cage right. before. I think right. we're going to need to stop that. We're going to need to translate this into English. So maybe <laughs> like, maybe just say, hey, turn your lower half. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So it's it's always taking it from complicated to simple. You got to get deep with it before you can make it simple. So mm-hmm. part of the journey, part of my journey as a coach is figuring out what words to say. Like you were talking about with the player earlier, you got to be as explicit and logical as possible. Like I'll just make the barrel go up or make the barrel go down and just tell them straight up. Other people want to hear it feels. Other people need the kinesthetic where you put their, you literally put your hands on them and make them feel the positions. Everybody's different. You got visual learners. It's uh, you need all those tools in your toolbox because some hitters respond to it. You never know what words are going to click for somebody. You just don't, you can get better at it and you can like Chris with you and I, we, we used to get, to, we get to the point where we're doing the Peter Pan, like pushed on our face. Like, there you are, Peter, like there found you- it. Oh, there you are, Peter. By the way, funny story about that. That's Hook, not Peter Pan. But anyway. so, side note, um, I sent that to somebody who I thought I had told the "Oh, there you are, Peter" story too, and they hadn't. And I realized how ridiculous it sounds when you send it to somebody and they don't know the inside joke part of it, and they're like, "I'm not sure what this means." And then I had it's to like three it. layers deep. If you if they don't know that the, the details of the yeah. joke, and you just send them a Peter Pan clip, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it was weird. But anyway. 
that was one of our things. Yeah. Let's get into, uh, let's get into hitting specifically. I want to ask you what your take is on baseball world versus softball world. Now you've been in it long enough to know that 10 years ago, we're starting fights with people in the baseball world. Like, and now it's almost the pendulum swung too far where I used to be super fringe and now I'm not at all. Um, how, how do you feel like the baseball world has changed over the last 10 years? And then how has the softball world been receptive to things? I know in, in softball, people are starting to embrace the home run now. It used to be, I mean, it still is all about pitching, but you get a team like Oklahoma batting like 450 as a team hitting, hitting records. Mm-hmm. It seems like the game is changing a lot. What's your, what's your overall feel over the last like 10 years, how, how things have shifted? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I got my encouragement from guys like you and some others to kind of start putting some stuff out there. But, you know, 2018 or 2017-ish, you know, when I started saying some stuff, like I was just like you guys. Uh, fortunately for me, I had, you know, Coach Lotif, who had done it years before, it wasn't saying it, you know, as mainstream as we were, but, you know, his teams are hitting 110 home runs. He had multiple people hit 30 home runs, made it to the World Series, took down CAD and tech, you know, took that, played against Texas really if well. You've never looked up Louisiana Lafayette softball in like 2008. Go, go look up some numbers on what the, they were doing. So, you know, I had someone before me in the game that had started putting some stuff out there and he got it way worse than anybody and probably anybody ever will. Uh, but, you know, Bailey, that, that first year in 2018, uh, you know, hit 19 kind of gave it a little bit of credibility. Per se, I tell Bailey all the time. So Bailey will ever be linked because you gave me some credibility, you know. So that gave it a little credibility. Then some other people started to look into it. Uh, the the rise of softball being on television has contributed to this because there used to be no video in softball. Like you couldn't get video of anybody unless you literally went to the game and watched it and recorded it. Now with all the networks, I mean, you can pull video from everywhere. So there's no secret on pitchers anymore. Uh, so the idea where you can have one horse, you know, throw 250 innings and you can win something like, you know, those are kind of going out the window. You need two or three uh, that can do some different things to keep people off balance. And and people are starting to realize like the athletes have gotten a ton better. Uh, Like we've talked before, I I told you, I was like, I think the third baseman in softball may be more important than the shortstop Uh, just being able to defend the short game and the power game, but not sacrifice range and distance. Like, if you got a third baseman that can play back by the bag, take away the quick bunt, and then take away balls in the hole and down the line, like you got a really good, you're probably really good defensively versus they've got to play in all the time because maybe they don't have the range or quickness and now they give up, you know, right or left or in the hole or things of that nature. How much so of that the, is, is weight room related? Is it just girls getting, they're in the weight room more, they're working more on their bodies and working more on athleticism? I think so. I think that, uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, strength training, you know, for girls, it's not starting to become so taboo. Uh, you know, it used to be like, don't lift, you know, don't be big, don't be strong. And it's like, man, no, like impressive physical athletes, they go across both, like they go across the, the void. Like you have to be in order to play your sport at a high level. So, you know, that part is starting to be embraced more and more, which is, I think is contributing to, and that and bat and ball technology have gotten better. And I think both of those are contributing to kind of the rise of offense and at some point the pitching uh in our game is going to have to start to make some adjustments like people like the pitching's bad it's not necessarily bad it's just the ways that you used to get people out 
you're not going to be able to get people out like that repetitively. Um, and so now you have to make an adjustment. Whereas before you, nobody could really hit. You were trying to bunt and air, you know, first and third, somebody to score a run and you had the one dominant pitcher. I mean, you look at Cat uh, and Monica are probably the two best pitchers in the United States since Jenny Finch. And they have one gold medal and no national championships between both of them. And the one gold medal that that Cat won, you know, she was, I think she was a third pitcher on that team in 04. So, like, at some point, you got to be able to hit and score some runs. And I think people are starting to to come around to that idea a little bit more, uh, especially at the at the upper levels. Like, you're just not going to win games against people one nothing, two to one, very very often anymore. I want. Were you surprised at how little offense there was in the Olympics? No. Uh, there was actually a lot of offense. Are you saying from like Team USA? Yeah. From the other team? Yeah, Team USA side. No. Yeah, but we talked about it. They, they, the assumption was that those are the top, what, 12, 15 players in the in the country, but they weren't, apparently. Y'all going to get me in trouble. I ain't going to say nah, that. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> but it's all like political, right? Isn't, I mean, it's in the, on it's, the baseball side, it's not the best 15, 25. Well, there's, so there's two differences. So there's two differences in the international. Two, there's more than two, but there's a couple big differences in the international game. Um, the international game, the core of the ball is not as tight as in college. Um, but it sounded bat, different. It sounded like but, they were in a wet newspaper when they hit it. But the bats that you use are much, much hotter than anything you can get in college. So it can kind of balance itself out. But uh, the field is two thirty all the way around. Yeah, so like there, right? there, there's no there's no cheapos. Um, and it's the best pitching in the world. The thing much was, better. We I was texting you during the games. The how would you compete like the the Olympic pitching versus college world series pitching olympic pitching is major league baseball like those are like your max scherzers your your high-end mlb starters what is the equivalent of the the best pitchers in college softball like what level are they double a are they high a to triple a uh major league average probably probably between high and double a like wayno uh cat and monica are the three best and it's not close like, it's just, it's just not close. And there's nothing that you can really do to prepare yourself to face those three. Like, those three are, except for, you know, Cat's probably 62 to 65. But, like, Monica and Wayno are 67 to 71, throwing to four quadrants so with, with the change. So, you know, tell people Cat has a, you know, Cat doesn't throw as hard as him, but Cat has a 17-inch spread between up and down with the change in the middle. So I think uh, I think if I remember correctly, up is like up nine or up eight, down nine. Like, <laughs> yeah, see, that, see, Chris is like, Chris, like I, tell, I tell Chris that and he immediately starts laughing, but you tell someone else in software, they're like, well, cat doesn't throw hard. She just spins it well. It's like, yeah, dude, but it's up eight, down nine, change in the middle, four quadrants. Like, bro, that's... When you're, not, when you're having to deal with splits this way, because like you're so this is where I'll come in. I remember there was a girl, um, I was probably in my fourth or fifth year with the Worcester Tornadoes, and we had a girl from Worcester who was at Holy Name High School who was going to pitch in Division One, And her coach kept asking me to try to face her. And I was like, this is going to go really bad in one direction or the other. I want you to know that. Either I'm going to get embarrassed or I'm going to hurt her, right? I'm going to hurt somebody. So finally, like I step in 
And thankfully, I, I hit a ball and I didn't kill anyone. But the first two pitches she threw me were devastating. And I had to just straight, like, swing and pray. Because one ball literally went like this. And my eyes told me that it was going to be at my, my quads. And it ended up at my belly button. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's almost impossible to, to like decipher between rise and drop from what I saw that day. And she was one of the better pitchers in the area, but it's the time constraint that is put on softball hitters is incredibly difficult. And I, uh, I certainly appreciate it. I think it's. it's so then you, you, you know, you look at Monica, Monica's up curve and change, which she, she used to not really have a change. It was just up and curve and gas. So like, you're like, all right, if I can hunt the top of the zone, the top of the ball, like, you're probably running the one or two over the course of seven innings. Well, Monica started adding a change. So now you've got vertical stack of up curve and change, whereas up is out of the zone curve is running away from you and the change fall below. I've got an overlay that I haven't posted yet uh, of all three of them. And you can see it. It's again, it's 71 to 72. And it's like, you know, how do you chase the one at the, the you know, the top of your neck? And it's like, yeah, because you thought it was the curve and going to stay down. And if you don't swing, like it's going to be a strike. And you're going to be out. And then you look at Wayno, which none of us have ever really gotten a lot of looks at her because she stays in Japan. You know, she doesn't pitch in the States, doesn't come over here a whole lot. So the only time you really get to see her is, you know, world championships or the Olympics. And you're talking to someone that's got, you know, up, down, up, down and change, you know, up and down, uh, the down and the change. It's like a video game cheat code you put in before. You and, and, up, down, and you right. know, and, and like I, I remember I posted something on her, her overlay and someone's like, oh, yeah, you just got to see the ball up. It's like. Dude, this 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 woman's been pitching for 20 years. You don't think everybody over there knows? Yeah, I just got to see it up. Like, I mean, come on, man. It's like when Chris is like, be quicker. Like, be quicker. He's like, there ain't no quicker. So, <laughs> two, two things on this topic. Uh, so one was uh, the, the one thing I was going to say, the thing that I noticed. So I had been with the team Italy girls a couple times. We played in a couple tournaments side by side. Erica Piancastelli might be one of the better hitters I've ever seen in college softball. And then eventually at the professional level, she did nothing in the Olympics. Like literally I thought she was going to be a world beater there and Italy scored one run in their last game, Mm -hmm. which was weird for me because I had watched these girls have just ridiculous output in the European tournaments. And uh, even at the global level. Uh, So that was a kind of an indicator to me, but to the point we were just talking about, and, and to what you were saying, oh, yeah, just see it up, right? I'm watching this kid pitch yesterday. I was at a Futures League game, and he plays at UMass Boston. And I think he struck out the first seven batters he faced. He had 66 punches in 39 and two-thirds innings. And I got parents next to me being like, why, why aren't they hitting him? And I said, I don't know. You go in the box and find out. There's got to be a reason, right? Like, there's a reason why nobody's hitting him. Like, right. yeah, just see it up. And I'm like, okay, like – and that's why I used to get mad at my dad when he'd sit in the stands and he'd just be like, what is he doing not swinging at that pitch? What? How are you taking strike one right there? I said, dad, you want to trade places? Like, we'll, we'll do it. I think, I think if I remember correctly, Wayno's thrown 92 innings in international competition over a career. Got like 108 strikeouts and like a .94 ERA or something like this. It's something ridiculous. It so like, the best hitters in the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she's been doing it, you know, since 2004. Like, People know what's what's about to happen. It, I mean, you know, hey, it's still tough, it's still tough. So, how do you battle that paradigm as a coach, right? How do you how do you how do you get girls to really understand? Uh, there's a lot of failure, right? When you're going to face these high end pitchers, I would say probably more so than there is in baseball. And I think now there's a shift in output and offense in the NCAA, especially 
like what was that what was that change like what was that transition and now how do you embrace it as as a coach and as a team okay so i i think my my methods are a little a little different than a lot of people are willing to admit but for me so if we're facing someone that's a high strikeout person they're more than likely they're going to go up so we know that um so let's say they average 11 strikeouts a game as a that pitcher does okay so but before we get to 11 strikeouts i don't worry about it like i just don't worry about it because i think it's almost asinine as a coach to be like well you know, this girl's lead out. I mean, I'll even say her name, Hope, like Hope Troutline, uh, was in our league last year. It was averaging like 11.8 an outing per seven. I think it's, you know, it's asinine as a coach to be like, all right, we got to go in there against Hope and not strike out. It's like, dude, she strikes out half the, every, half the, t- like, I mean, it's just going to happen. Like, just get over. Just, that's, so before, until we get to 11, let's not worry about it. Let's figure out how, with the other 11 outs that we're going to have, let's figure out how we're going to score some runs with the other 11. And then once we get to 11, let's see where we are in the game. What, how the 11 strikeouts happen, and then let's go from there. Let's make an adjustment from there. But until you get to that number, like, don't worry about it, dude. Like, that's her average. Like, if, if she holds you to seven or eight, you're like, hey, man, we must have got a whole bunch of swings off. <laughs> you know, if we get to 15 or 16, it's like, okay, how are the strikeouts? Was she really good that day? Did we even get any swings off type of thing? And I think a lot of, a lot of coaches, they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, our team, we're going to go up there. We're going to compete. We're going to be tough. And it's like – no, you you gonna strike out like <laughs> strike out. I got, I'll give an example. I talked with uh, one of the teams that was was one of there. I did some uh, in the Olympics. I talked with their 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 coaching staff, and you know they saw some of the stuff I did. They came down and visited with me a little bit, and they were like, you know, how are you gonna hit the? You know, how do we hit the beat Monica? How do we hit the rise ball? And I was like, look, this is what's gonna happen against Team USA. I said your eight or your nine hole has to get on with less than two outs. I said late in the game it needs to be you need to need to be zero zero or down a run somebody needs to get a swing off and then there either needs to be a sack a squeeze sack fly or something for you to score the run to win the game that's how you're going to win and if you strike out 16 times you strike out 16 times it's like but if you're trying to get late in the game with the bottom of the lineup up hope somebody gets on my top comes up less than two outs somebody gets a swing off we can win the game that's, it. that's how you're going to win the game and your pitching has got to match up zero for zero and he just kind of looked at me. He was like, well, you know, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna strike out that much. I'm like, dude, Monica has been striking people out for 25 years. Like, just get over it. Like, that's how you're gonna win. And sure enough, sure enough, it was one to nothing. They got to the sixth inning. Uh, the eight-hole hitter walked. They they the eight-hole hitter walked. Nine, nine butted her over. Uh, they pinch hit for the nine spot. Nine hole pinch hit comes up, hits a double in the right center. They get thrown out at the plate, though. They got thrown out at the plate, but they had a runner at third with one out with the top of the lineup up. Top of the lineup comes up, girl, so top of the line just misses one, didn't hit it deep enough to get the sack fly. Next kid grounded out. They lost one up. They had a chance. They did exactly what they needed to do. They just they just didn't get the runs across when yeah. they needed to be done. And so then at the end of the game, you like, ladies, we did exactly what we needed to do. It just didn't fall away that time. And I think a lot of, uh, of coaches have a hard time saying we got to the spot. And it didn't work. And then they're like, "We should have done something else." It's like, "Nah, dude, you were right there. If that run scores, if she if she doesn't make that good of a throw to the plate, it's one to one. She if she hits that ball ten feet deeper, it's sack fly. It's two to one. You go out in the seven, get three outs. We win two to one. We won. Yeah. Just didn't just didn't roll your way. Big games, big seasons come down to one out, one situation. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, let's talk tech. 
I want to talk tech with you. Um, you do a lot with technology. I know you have hit tracks. Uh, I know you got the phantom high-speed camera going for your pictures. You're, you're doing pitch design type stuff. What is your favorite tech? What is your favorite implementation of tech? Where do you see all this going? Well, I don't have my favorite tech because if I had my favorite tech, we'd be rolling. You want um, Hawkeye? I do. I would, if somebody would come set up a system in my field, I wouldn't bother any, I wouldn't bother anybody else for anything. They would come set that up for me and show me how to run it. And we, if we had to, we go get somebody to help us run it. You would need. I mean, that's like a, there was a thirteen or fifteen cameras. It's tracking every player on the field, doing the pitching. It's doing kinematics. It's doing. Yep. That's you need a team to do that. That's okay. We can go. Listen, we 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 got civil engineering. We got we got all kind of. We'll go find some people over there that can help us. We already got people helping us. We can go find some more. <laughs> if you tell me you can get that for me, we'll go find some more people. It's just money. You just, you just need to instead of buying that weight room, you should have got Hawkeye. Oh, yeah, right. That would have gone over real well. But so, I mean, the, you know. the stuff you have, what stuff you have, what do you use the most? What is the most beneficial? And I mean, dealing with the team, you're in a situation where you need to produce. You need to. You need players getting better. Mm-hmm. It's not just. I think most of the industry just collects data, mm-hmm. and they sit on it. Mm-hmm. How do you implement your tech? So I mean, that was kind of us. Uh, I got, we'll talk about him a little bit later when I know we've got some other topics, but, you know, Dr. Chris Coons helps us with the pitching. Uh, I know when we first got the stuff, you know, it was just like anybody, you know, collecting a bunch of stuff. It's like, okay, this is cool. All right. Like, how does this help us? So sitting down and sifting through all that. And because in, in baseball, at the amateur side, you have major league baseball to kind of filter some stuff off of and start to figure out some things. And they're always punching some stuff out there, or you can go out there and figure stuff out to find out what's good, what's not so good, what you probably want to stay away from. We don't have that in softball. It's literally everything's everything we've done for the past four years has been abstract. It's our players versus our players versus our league. So it's been like, what we've been trying to do is what gets players out in our league or what helps our players produce offensively, what plays in our league and then work from there. Uh, so we, we use everything, uh, everything that we have, uh, Rap Soto, Hit Tracks, the lab, some new stuff that we're going to have in the weight room. Uh, we use everything from, you know, from developing players to help with recruiting. Uh, we more so lately have used the stuff to figure out kind of a baseline of player that we want to go after and then allow the players to come in and fit into those categories or, or fit into those molds and then help us make decisions from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, one of the biggest things we've probably learned from tech is not to judge, not to judge a player before you see them on some of that stuff, because what you think you might be seeing may not be what's happening on the flip side. Uh, they may be better uh, than you thought that they were and may actually be someone who needs to be in play for you. Or this player's really good. They're hitting the ball too high. This player can maybe get away with hitting the ball a little bit higher if they tend so to do so. Uh, just small things like that. I, I mean, I had a kid that uh, we were kind of weren't letting hit anymore. We were kind of moving them away from him and just letting them pitch. Uh, and they worked really hard on their on their on their technique and stuff. And they came back and it's a mid seventies bat that's left handed. Well, mid seventies bats that are left handed aren't just they're just not sitting around out there. So to me, it's like all right, like you got to figure out if you can get some type of production from this kid. I mean, this is a mid seventies back that's left handed. You can't just be like, Oh, this kid. Not yet. No, no, like you need to figure it out to some degree. And we did, we worked, she worked, uh, 
And I mean, she ended up hitting in the you know five to six hole fours. So I hit, I think she hit right around two sixty with three with four. Uh, came up with some big swings and some big moments uh, for us. And and that simply and that was a kid you were kind of like, hey, but you know the tech was telling you like, dude, you got something here. You're gonna have to put some some work in. I mean, she had some path issues and all that stuff, but you got to put some work in. But dude, there's something in here that you need to try to get. Even at worst, if she's not a starter for you, if she's just a pinch hit bat off the bench. It's better to know that you have that than to think that you have nothing when you actually do have something. Awesome. The benchmarking thing is uh, is powerful because you might get, like you said, there's there's players that may not look pleasing to the eye, but they produce. And Dude, I got I got a bunch finding of those them. hidden gems is is critical. Dude, I got a bunch of them. I got a, I got the kid that won that was on our all freshman team five three you know 120 no no offers she's left-handed second baseman no offers uh she ran cross country so it was back so she ran cross country uh, so it was really skinny but put her on blast and it was like you know 60 to 63 between like 8 and 11 you're like hey dude that's pretty good like she can run a little bit but again she ran cross country so it was really small well her senior year she didn't run cross country and started to hit the weight room well the 60 to 63, 8 to 11, with a little bit of strength, starts to show up through the fall and summer travel ball. And you're like, hey, man, this kid's going to help us. Like, Because we're thinking, hey, this is a nine-hole kid for us, you know, uh, not spending it, but this is a really good nine-hole hitter. I mean, this kid hit 320, 320 with three. Like, from the nine spot, it ended up bleeding off uh, towards the end of the year because the bats got so good. But, I mean, that was a kid that nobody was interested in, 5'3", 125. But, like, the tech said, like, Hey man, you might want to not look a little closer here. And I remember the first first fall we had, she was out there doing some stuff, and it was just none of the kids I'd ever seen her play. And they, you know, some of my seniors are like, "Coach Carlson, she's kind of small." I'm like, "You just wait. This kid's gonna this kid's gonna help us tremendously." And they're like, "I'm like, just wait." And so we started going through the fall, and she just hits and hits because she has really good bat to ball skills. Just hits, just hits, just hits. You know, people playing shallow, she's hitting over people's head. They started back up. They're like, "Coach Carlson, she's pretty good." I was like, "Hmm." Like, I see what you were saying. Like, but, but, but like, that's her. I got another kid that's coming in the 21 class, same exact way. We got a couple other kids that are in 22. I got a kid that's in 22. That's five. If she might be five, three, I think she's closer to five, two, but I mean, on hit track, you put on hit tracks, it's 66 to 69. I mean, she hits rockets and, but you watch her hit and you're like, where's it coming from? <laughs> Cause it's just a, such a small package, but it's, absolute turbo in her bat uh, i think her i think her ra on blast is like 15 to 18 somewhere in there uh but it's just turbo in her bat but again same thing small kind of unassuming really good athlete but there's another she's not the five foot eight five foot nine kid we're like oh yeah it's like no nah, but this kid this kid's gonna help us somewhere mm -hmm. where do you want tech to be in two years if you could get throw hawkeye out the window because i know you want hawkeye what do you want tech to do for you? What do you want? What improvements do you want to see in technology? I know with Pelotero, we're working on all sorts of problems and that <laughs> conversation, but uh, where, what do you want? What do you want to get out of technology? How will, how would tech help your program more? Accessible for more people. Uh, I'm kind of at the point now, a lot of people say, I wish more people would learn about it. I'm kind of at the point now where like, either you want to learn about it or you don't. 
Like, I mean, nobody's going to, you can't force somebody to learn about it. Either they're going to use it to help their kids or use it to get their kids out there, or they're just not going to do it. Like, if, if you don't want to do it, you know, fine. No big deal. Uh, but I, I wish more kids would be able to, to get on stuff and send stuff out. Uh, maybe would like stuff to be more in like one place. So you could just go one place and get everything you need. Uh, and I would like the on-field units to begin to get more, probably more affordable for some of the smaller, smaller schools. Like, you know, I mean, you got, you got, like I said, you got Hawkeye, which that's a Sony product, you know, big league level. Then you're looking at Yacker Tech that has uh, a field unit, but that's still not super, super cost efficient for smaller programs. Flight scope, but there's issues, you know, there's issues with that, 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 that goes on. Uh, so just something that's reliable, that's, that they can use that we can use for an on-field unit because I think the biggest thing for softball-wise, tech-wise, is to start getting the in-game stuff. Um, I think there's a, there's quite a few of us that have practice parameters, scrimmage parameters that we're using pretty well. And I think the next step is to get the in-game stuff because the in-game stuff is where we can kind of help start setting baselines for the masses. Like, you know, in baseball, you know, if a guy is 90 to 93 and he's spinning it he's got a four seam he's spinning it you know 23 to 2600 probably got something like they don't tell you just about everybody knows that you also know if a guy's you know if a guy's above 100 if he's 100 to 105 probably got something like just about everybody knows that parent travel coach whoever well in softball if you're not using it every day people don't know what that is we don't know what those numbers are and people that do know ain't not sharing it obviously because it's a competitive advantage for us right now at this point for us to know so uh, it with that became the norm and got out there then you would probably start to have a better streamlined recruiting process because kids would know where they fit in coaches would know where kids probably fit in versus like kids going out all over the place trying to grab schools or try to get attention to schools and they don't necessarily have the skills um, able to play there, that they can start to bucket themselves a little bit better, start finding better fits for themselves and things of that nature. So I, I hope it gets to the point where some of these baseline stuff that we understand starts getting out there. That makes sense. And uh, we, we strongly believe that Pelotero, we should be, the more the in-game data is driving programming, the better. Mm-hmm. So whether that's recreating game-like scenarios or actually getting in-game data, that's the best. That's the best way to program and develop. That that should be shaping your training as much as possible. But it's the hardest place to get data. It's it's because the least controlled had... environment. It's the lighting is always different. The the setup is difficult because you're you're traveling all over the place. The the dream scenario is you got like a universal system that's applied to every field everywhere, and then you just get data that's consistent and everybody has the same quality data the same metrics the same everything and then you have standards but getting to that point you know you could fast forward 10 years and be like oh yeah like self-driving cars is every every car on the road is a self-driving car every baseball field and softball field has a camera system that captures everything for you it's just getting there getting there's gonna be tough i think some of the big tournament organizations probably the first the first step with that at the from the youth level where if they implement cameras and they implement in-game on a broader scale, it'll start to filter down. And then it'll almost be like a standard. It'd be like hitting on head tracks. Like once, once you've done it, then you're going to start seeking that out. It's a, it's a big upsell. So, well, and, and, and I could, I mean, I could sit here for two hours and tell you recruiting stories of kids that we've gotten or kids that we've become interested in or, or, or whatever you want to say it 
uh, based on us either them sending sending us the information or them coming to camp, getting on our stuff, and you're like, uh, yeah, that kid. Uh, I mean, there's, I mean, I think right now for us, it's it's really a competitive advantage. I mean, there, I can think of seven kids in our pro, seven or eight kids in our program right now that may not have been in the program if it wasn't for some variation of tech. That's a that's a big statement. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this one. This this is a this is a really good story, and and I'll get this I'll get this clip uh, on signing day and put it out there. But we had a kid, uh, a pitcher that's coming to us, uh, sent us an email about two months ago. Big kid that's really athletic. Uh, click on the video link. She's you know sixty to sixty two. They're like okay. I just email her and says hey, do you, you know do you have anything? And she's like, well, my dad bought me a DK ball. Like I can throw with that and send it. And it's like okay, that's a start. So she sends the DK ball stuff over and it's 14 to 1700. And you're like, okay. So then it's the email back says, okay, you know, send me your schedule. I want to come see you throw. So we go see your throw and, you know, 60 to 62. And, but everything's like this. And she can't get any swings and misses. She can't get anybody out. And it's like, Okay, but it did say fourteen hundred. She's throwing a lot of strikes. She's not walking people. She's throwing the ball. So it's just huge, huge spin, but just gyro. Just gyro. No Everything's gyro. So like Ronnie, your pitching coach is like, it's like I don't know. She's like, you know, I'm watching, but hey, you know, everything's screwball. Like, she throw anything else? I was like, I have no idea. Like, dude, I just emailed the kid. So don't worry about it. Go see. So we see her throw the following weekend. Same exact thing. I think she was like fifty nine to like sixty. Just gyro, gyro. Can't get anybody out no swings and misses and you're like man geez i thought we might have had one here well kid signs up for camp so she comes to camp and ronnie's like all right like you know seeing you throw twice do you throw anything other than screwball she's like well actually uh she's like i'm curve rise change she's like this is the most that i've thrown my screwball you know since i've been pitching in select ball so ronnie's like okay so we're gonna throw a bullpen no screwballs curve rise change dude this kid starts <laughs> <laughs> like I had to, I had to come out of the cage with the session. I had to come out of my cage to go to the bullpen to watch it. She starts ripping curveballs, 14, 1500 going across at seven low spin change at like seven eighty goes down six plus two lifter at like 1350. You're like, why don't you throw this in the game? She's like, my coach, my coach just doesn't call it. It's like, dude, this is really good. It's like, okay. Do it again tomorrow. So she does it again, the same exact thing tomorrow on the screen. I mean, you're standing there watching behind home play, and the ball looks like the ball looks like it's moving this much across, uh, just across the zone, going both directions. You're like, "All right, bro, this is pretty good. What y'all want to do?" It's like, "Uh, we really weren't prepared to do something right here." Okay, so we had to like go. We had to go figure it out, and so we ended up. I mean, we ended up getting her. Uh, but but there was simply the case of kid was throwing the wrong pitch. It's simply the case of it. Really good, just throwing the wrong stuff. She got with somebody, they showed her, hey, you should probably do this. And it went from like, I don't know, to like, we're taking this one ASAP. So do you think Do you think that sometimes the data clouds people's ability to decide on stuff and say, like, fundamentally, the game still is about getting people out and scoring more points than the other team. Mm-hmm. Do you think that happens now in softball a little bit too? So- uh. I don't think it's gotten to that point yet. I mean, I, uh, if you use it correctly, like, okay, I take this, this is going to give me another piece of information I didn't have and fit it inside the fundamentals of, of the game. It's going to always help you. Uh, it's when you go 
one way or the other. And I think that's where you can start to get down the wrong rabbit holes. I think you, was, you could use it like that. Uh, I try to use it to let it tell me where the player is and where I think that player needs to go. I've seen many people um, take kids and think the kids should have be something that they're not because they didn't have all the information on them. I know that's one thing that Hitstrack has helped me with. You know, I hear this sometimes when I'm out recruiting is, well, you can only go to UTSA if you're a power hitter. It's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Like everyone's not going to hit for a bunch of thump and you can't have a lineup full of nine. It's just all hitting. Like you need some other pieces, but I allow the tech to tell me, okay, you know, if this kid's, if I need an outfielder, if I'm looking for a center fielder, I'm probably looking for someone that can run a little bit more, still need to have a little bit of juice to the bat, but I know I'm probably not going to get a kid that's 68 to 70. Like that's a power five kid. But if I can find an outfielder that's in that, you know, maybe that's 62 to 64 range. Well, that's a kid that I can take, but I know from the beginning, okay, this kid's not going to hit for a bunch of thump. So I don't expect this kid to hit for thump. So I'm not upset if this kid comes in, maybe she gives you 275 with two or three, plays really good center field you're like that's exactly what I was looking for versus I didn't know those things well I think she should hit more home runs or I think she should hit for more that kid may not have it in the tank so you have expectations set on this kid that they can't ever achieve so in your mind maybe subconsciously you're coaching them to achieve these marks that the kid's never going to reach so you get frustrated the kid gets frustrated because you're always on them when if you just had the information you'd have known off the hand okay this is probably what you're getting right here when that kid, let's coach that kid, let's guide that kid in that direction. And when they put up those types of, of numbers, know that you got exactly what you want. Like that's no different than once I got the information on a kid that made the all freshman team. I knew that kid wasn't going to hit a bunch of home runs, but I needed that kid to have enough to keep the outfield back so they didn't smother and she could drive balls over your head if you were like, oh, she's small, let's play in. That's, that's as much juice as I needed her to have. That's as much juice as she had. Perfect. I'm getting exactly what I wanted. Good. The uh, <clears throat> the context really matters when it comes to the data, for sure. Very much. You, you need to know what the heck's going on De- at a, a, a couple layers deeper, and then you can make good decisions. Uh, let's go on to the next topic. Field of Dreams game was the story in baseball last week. Really awesome game. The actual game itself was really good with uh, the Yankees hitting two homers in the ninth, and then the, the White Sox walked it off. The bigger story was, Chris, was it the, the most watched game in the last like 19 years or something like that? Highest rating, highest regular season ratings ever for Major League Baseball. So a couple topics here, a couple like subtopics here. First of all, it was cool. Um, There's an article that Jared Diamond, Wall Street Journal, did with Tim Anderson talking about what this game meant to Tim Anderson. And I thought it was really interesting and pretty enlightening to me. Uh, bat flips and home run celebrations are something that we talk about a lot on the Pelotero Pickle podcast. Uh, Carlton, I'd be interested to hear your take on that. The, the the Tim Anderson article is very interesting because Tim was talking about how he has he'd never even seen the movie. He didn't start playing baseball till he was like 16 years old. Has zero connection to the history of the game. So that movie and that the whole story and basically the history of baseball doesn't resonate with him. And Chris and I were talking about this earlier. Carlton, you and I talked about this last night in terms of what they're going to use that field for and and ideas moving forward. Um, I want to get your take on bat flips and Tim Anderson, I guess, just not having a connection to the, to the movie and to the history of baseball, I guess. 
And then I want to talk about wh- where they should go next with uh, Field of Dreams. What do you got? Uh, uh, bat flips, I, I am of the mindset of if done in a big moment and it's spontaneous because that's it meaning what happened, no problem. If, you know, if you're blowing a team out or you're down big and you hit like a solo shot and it's just like, okay, dude, like, is it about you or is it about winning the game? Like, I, like I get like a lot of people didn't like the Bautista one. I thought the Bautista one was great because you, you know, the background of it, it's the eighth. It was an eighth inning. Chris Williams, yeah. seventh. seventh, it's seventh inning. Yeah. Uh, they, the Rangers have made a couple of errors to give you a chance. You know, crowd revenge, and then you hit one, and it's like you've never done it before. You thought, I get that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're down eight to nothing in the seventh with two outs, and you hit a wall scraper, and you're standing there watching. And you've had in game like, sixty, right. in game sixty-one. Yeah, it's like, okay, come on, man, come on, man. What are we doing here? You know, but spontaneous in the action, whether it's a regular season or a postseason game. You know, if it's in the, no problem, no problem with it whatsoever. I mean, if you, you see me like. I do it. I celebrate all the time, you know, in a big moment or, you know, tying a game up late or something like that. Like I I celebrate all the time. When you're beating somebody pretty good or you're down big and you, you know, you're throwing your bat up in there. It's like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing here? That's it. It just becomes a selfish moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like it becomes, you can, that's what I said. There's just a line where it becomes selfish and it's about me as opposed to like the the heat of the moment took me there. Mm -hmm. But to Bobby's point about, and I think this this relates a lot to the younger generation. And I think T.A. is a really good example of a younger player who is a stallion, right? Like, the dude's a stallion. There's no question about it. And he's a game changer. He is a guy that I think is going to impact the lineup positively day in and day out. He's going to play good shortstop. And, but he's so disconnected from what the history of baseball is. And that's okay. Like, I have no problem with it because – he is is the guy that is a reflection of what the game needs nowadays. So I don't think he's egregious when he does anything he does on the field because it's about fun for him. It's about enjoying moments. And I don't think there's ever been a time where I've thought of Tim Anderson as a guy who disrespected the game. But it's interesting as to how, how he perceives baseball and what it is to him and, and how, you know, I said this to Bobby earlier – when I was growing up, I used to think to myself when people would be like, Hey, did you ever see like, you know, uh, I don't know, Casablanca, like it's one of the greatest movies ever. And I'm like, it's 50 years old, dude. I don't want to watch it. Now when I tell people about movies that we were like, Oh, this is one of the best movies ever. The kids are like, what? And now that's how I know I'm old at least, you know? So I got that going for me. I'm old. Great. Um, but yeah, with the field of dream stuff, I think my take on it is, I think it was great for the game and it, it really connected a couple generations. Um, I don't think the players necessarily thought it was as impactful. Maybe some of the older ones did, maybe they didn't I, it, you'd have to ask them all individually, but um, certainly I think there's a place for MLB to do more stuff like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be Iowa. Carlson, tell, tell us what your idea was. So my idea was you, you, so you made this big fuss about the Negro leagues are now major league. Like, we're going to recognize them as Major League. Okay, cool. Is that it? I know there's a the museum that's in Kansas City. You know, you have to travel to get there. My thought was, what if, if they want to make, like, this a thing, take all the existing Negro League stadiums that are still out there, redo them and make them make the field Major League caliber, 
put a small museum next to the field based on the history of that ballpark and what went on at that ballpark and play games there and rotate them around and let and allow uh, the youth and others in the area to use the fields when the ma- when the major leagues aren't playing on them. So they're, they're consistently getting good use and use those telecasts to tell the history about the Negro leagues, what went on in that city with the Negro leagues at that field, who played there, all those things. And you could have that, you know, I think I got it written down. One, two, three, four. You got five, you know, right now, basically five parks that are kind of still in existence. Think about if, if a game is played there uh, once a year between teams at those five parks and the telecast is simply about the history that happened there. And with the small museum that's next to it where people walk in the history. I know that, like I said, there's a national one, but stuff that happened there, like that would be a good way for to keep the conversation going. And always have the conversation come up every single year about the Negro Leagues. I think that would be kind of cool to do. I think like, that's that's the best baseball initiative idea that I've heard in a long time. Maybe ever. I think that's fantastic, the idea of putting a museum there. Be think, careful. Major League Baseball is going to hire you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. The uh, They're talking about using the Field of Dreams for college games, for like minor league games, to rent it out for tournaments. I think if you if you use those old Negro League stadiums, and you build them museums, you can bring people in and educate. You can, I mean, they, they talk all the time about getting the better demographics to the game. They want the youth players to be engaged. What an opportunity. What, a, what an amazing opportunity to get the history of the game tied to current generations. And, and like you said, keeping the conversation going. I think it's incredible. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, I understand the playing surface and such, dugout stuff like that it's probably got to be upgraded to major league specifications like i mean for player safety but like have it set up to where fans can bring out lawn chairs and sit you know down the line like they used to do and keep the grandstand small like it doesn't have to be a thing where it's like all right we got to get ten thousand people in here or we're not going to meet our our quota it's like no nah, dude like this is for the history of the game we're going to play here at this field these people are going to come out Here's a museum. Walk us through us. Let's talk about telecast on the telecast and keep the conversation going about this. Here's this next ballpark. And it's like, and it's a one, one off thing um, that you do at all the ballparks. And I, I know the one in, uh, what's the one in uh, Alabama at Rickwood. Like I know the Bar- the Barons still like play there occasionally. Uh, they do like a thing once a year, but you know, you know, I don't know, Braves and somebody, you know, play there or, or whoever you want to, you know, play there a game. Like I said, put a small museum specific to that field and that time. And I think that would be something that's be something pretty cool. I think the major league season's so long that there's so many opportunities to do stuff like that and really engage different parts of the country. Uh, think about how many people in the Midwest really, or even in the South really don't get an opportunity to watch live baseball. Like if you really look at where the teams are, and on the map, if you just look, the Northeast is obviously packed, the Southwest, um, you know, you go along that West Coast and, and you've got teams throughout there um, and then go across the southern part of the U.S. and, and you see like Arizona, Texas um, and then Florida, obviously. But that northern section has, you know, the AL Central, the NL Central, but there's plenty of pockets in, in, in the country where people don't get an opportunity to really enjoy baseball. So I think from the standpoint of what it could do for the game at a national level. And then obviously just create some buzz and excitement and just different stuff that they can promote. It seems like a really simple and smart idea. And uh, 
yeah, kudos to you for thinking of it that way. And especially to engage, you know, the African-American player, it just, they talk about it all the time. Inner city kids have a, a really hard time engaging with the game of baseball just in general. It doesn't matter what race they are. It's, it, it, the, like to, to us, baseball and I think softball is in the same conversation to me. Um, they're the greatest games in the world because they they create critical thinking and they make us do things differently than we would in other sports. And um, yeah, there's a place for I think there's a place for more different types of players. Meaning you just don't have to be athletic to to play. There's not one prototypical player, and that's why the game's great because it, it the mind is as big a tool as any other one. So we have an opportunity to, to, to rebrand and regrow the game. And I would say, take advantage of it the best way you can. And it starts with MLB obviously and the, their initiative. So. Yeah. Great idea. Let's make it happen. Which brings me to the next topic, which brings me to my next point. We have two more topics and we got to keep them fairly quicker. Cause I got a demo I got to do. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> Carlton, you had a little Twitter thread recently about getting more engaged and that, you want to have more conversa- conversation happen in the open, so I'm going to call you out. Oh. Every, every time I have a good tweet, you text me. You don't reply to my Twitter. You don't reply on Twitter publicly. It's just more personal, that's why. No, because he doesn't want to put himself out there, and he's a coach, and he's got to be careful and stuff, so I get mm-hmm. that. What, what's the line for you? What, what do we have to do to get you more active on Twitter? I, I used to be a lot more active on Twitter, and there, I'm at a point now where I, if I type out something good, I usually end up just deleting it and not even engaging because it's sometimes not even worth it. So I got to click send more. What do I got to do to draw you out on uh, social? I don't know, man. There's there's just certain, there's some things that, that do and there's some things that don't. I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm the person that's like always pushing the envelope like forward all the time. Like I think it gets old at some point. Like, you know, I've done the, I've done my Google Drive. I did the flow softball hitting stuff. I did the blast stuff that was all that stuff was a little progressive. Now, granted, it was a couple of years ago, but I did that. Like, you know, I don't want my face always showing up as being like, oh, we should do this. Oh, we should do this. Because because I think eventually it sounds like you're like either being like kind of complaining or being like kind of self-absorbed. Like, I'm the only one that knows how to do this, which is not true. There's a lot of other really good people doing a lot of good things. Just I don't know. People don't they don't want to. They don't want to say too much. They don't want to put themselves out of it because it's, you know, it's real easy for trolls to hop on your stuff and like, you need to do this. Your team, your team's not this, your team's not that. You don't need to be talking. We should listen to these people, blah, 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 like all different ways. And so I don't want to be the one that's like always like pushing stuff. Like, you know, I like other people to, to get involved and put some things out there too. But that's kind of why I haven't really said a whole lot. That too, and I want to put too much stuff out there, kind of lose competitive advantage on some things that's taken some years to figure out. And I just give you the answer, like within, you know, 150 characters, like I gave you the answer to something that took me four years to kind of figure out. Like, I don't want to do that either. Well, part of it is the process, right? Like you're going through the process. The journey is, uh, the journey is as important as the result and it helps create a better understanding. I think Twitter's become such a melting pot of just crap, you know, yeah. and we're, I think we're all, we're all at the point where it's it's part of our normal, right? You scroll through your feed just to see. You try to follow people that, like, you hope are going to bring some enlightenment and yeah, and and uh, and and value add or value prop to your day. And then, but then, as you said, like, I, the thing I don't understand about Twitter is how many people engage in conversations just to hate on stuff, right? Yeah. It, it could be such a cool resource to to bounce ideas off people, but then it's 
you know, half of the world or maybe even more is, is consumed by telling somebody that their idea is bad. Well, don't follow what I don't follow me. Just, yeah. I posted a, uh, I posted a cat Osterman overlay, uh, up curve and change. I posted an overlay, which I think is really cool. And that, uh, that took some time and somebody commented on me, like, what's cool about this video? Like, yeah, she's a good picture, but this overlay doesn't do her justice. It's like, well, then if you have a better overlay, then you post your overlay. <laughs> like this took time to get done and it shows separation and all those things are important. And you got something. Well, then you post yours. Show us what overlay you would create to show Cat Osterman separation. Oh, you don't have one. Well, why don't you just sit down and be quiet then? So yeah. way, way back in the day, way, way back in the, like the early, early Twitter days, uh, Eric Cressy talked about like complaining without a solution is like the worst thing you can do in life. Like you just not in life, but in, in a social engagement type situation where like you're just complaining at that point and you're yeah. whining and you're not, you're just wasting people's time. So I, it was like a, I don't know if it was a blog article or where I saw him say it, but it really stuck with me and resonated. So this is like the classic Jeff Fry situation where he just complains and complains and complains and never like just do like post a real hitting lesson instead of spending all this time swinging with a, a, a paddle or a, a pool noodle or whatever he's doing to make fun of people, like actually put out real information, stick your neck out a little bit and provide a solution, provide an option that people have that's real instead of just some spoof. It just gets tired and you're dragging people down. It's all the whole, like, if you want to have the biggest building, you're you're just tearing down other people's building to make yours taller and yeah. like add to add value to the situation the conversation don't just tear people down and that's what t- twitter like 2013 was all sharing it was all basically all hitting forums that everybody left because it was so terrible and got so contentious all those people just showed up on twitter and now twitter is all contentious and argumentative so it's uh yeah that whole scene is weird but the one thing i will say about the more you put out, it feels like you're losing that competitive advantage. You feel like you're giving away too much. That's usually a telltale sign that you're putting out really good information and it ends up creating more opportunities than if you hold on to it. Like if you keep it internal, it doesn't actually create value in your life. It, it, it limits the, the opportunity. So if you're, if you're creating content and you're thinking about putting it out there, but you're a little scared, try it and see what happens. If that's the only well, thing you got, you're not very good. And there's well, lines everywhere. You know, there's lots. I mean, I have, uh, you know, quite, I think I have a, quite a bit of stuff that would help kids, uh, especially through the recruiting process on like, hey, these are some things that could help you. Uh, these are some things that could hurt you. Uh, I had a kid, funny, I told you this, Bobby. Chris, you haven't heard this. Uh, so, like I said, we run our tech all camp. I had a kid come up to me and says, Coach Carlson, I think your machine's broken. What are you talking about? She's like, I don't think it's reading correctly. I was like, oh, you thought you hit the ball harder than you do. She's like, well, yeah. I was like, no, if that's what it says, that's what you are. But like they they use the stuff as like a test. Like I failed the test. I'm not very good. Like, no, it's not a test. This is just telling you where you are. Okay, here are the things that we can do to maybe get better at some things. Like they don't look at it as it's telling me where I am. This is what I need to do to get better. The things I can do to get better. They just say, Oh, well, it just told me I'm not very good. Well, I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to use it anymore. It's like, well, it's a lot more to it than just that. And I would hope people would start to understand like, yeah, it's going to say you're not very good, but you put anybody on any of this stuff. doesn't matter who it is. It's going to say they're not good at something. 
Like, it's just how it works. But that doesn't mean that, okay, this is how we can improve or these are the things we need to do to, to get better. But nobody, but that takes some thought process, some conversation, and then some work. People just want to jump on and it just says, yeah, you're a really good player and it's going to find stuff everywhere. Testing is about creating baselines. That's the whole the whole thought process behind building our assessment with Pelotero was just to tell you where you are. It doesn't mean you're good. It doesn't mean you're bad. Like certainly you could do some things better than others. And but it's all about what do you need to what do you need to improve at? It, it has not. I tell people this all the time. And this is when you're 14 years old, like you're you don't need to be the best player. You don't right. need to be the best at everything. You need to understand what you need to improve at the most. That's it. Like, you're, I don't care if you go 0 for 8 in a uh, AAU doubleheader. My, like, my, 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 my nephew, his dad used to call me. He went 0 for 6 today. He's got to hit with you tomorrow. I'm like, nah, that's great. I'm glad he went 0 for 6. Like, he was 14 at a travel ball tournament. That's great. I'd rather he went 0 for 6 than 6 for 6 and get this false sense of confidence. Like, he needs to learn how to respond to 0 for 6. The same way... You need to understand how not to be good at something, whatever it is. Maybe you don't hit the ball hard enough when you're 14 years old. All right, well, let's spend time figuring out how to get better at it. The problem is the the world has this tendency to just look at rankings and say, oh, well, this is where I stand. And that that ain't it. That ain't it. Not at all. Not at all. All right, final topic. You got to pick one hitter that you want to highlight, somebody to watch, somebody you're paying attention to. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to go major league hitter for this. You got one guy that you, you think the audience should be paying attention to. Who do you got? Can I go a different direction? Yeah. You can do okay, it. Okay, so audience, there's this thing called AU softball that's coming up that's going to get started in like a week or two where there's going to be 23 Olympians that will be participating in the league, and it runs like end of August to like the end of August to like the end of September. Um, I don't know what partners. I want to say they were on CBS last year uh, and Fox Sports. Listen, watch it. There's really, really good players. Uh, if I had to highlight a hitter in the league, it would be either Hannah Flippin, who I really like, who played at Utah, or Jesse Warren, who I was around at Florida State for two years. Like, watch it. It's They've gotten the, the first year, you know, obviously some bumps in the road. They're kind of trying to figure stuff out. But this year they've got really, really good players in the league, both offensively and defensively and in the circle. That's the uh, Athletes Unlimited, right? That's the Athletes Unlimited, like, that's I mean, where that some... Erica girl went off last year, right? Didn't yes. she hit like she hit Yes. Yeah. Like it's a it's gonna be some really good competition, really good arms. And uh, the really wind always team. blows out in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like it it you should tune in and watch that. That's gonna be my plug for hitters. Nice. I like it. Chris. I'm going with one Eloy Jimenez. I'm so glad my friend Eloy is back. It's probably my favorite. Uh up and coming, bred to be superstar as like he got his deal from the White Sox. And uh, yeah, this guy, he smashes. He just rakes. So yeah, Eloy. I'm going to go with Eloy. He was fresh on my mind last night. I watched a bunch of video too. He made me want to watch his video. Hmm. Bobby, what do you got? You got one? Yep. My choice is actually Bryce Harper. He's been making changes. There's... He took a couple swings. So what we, our friend Sam Fold is with the Phillies and uh, GM with them now. And he, Bryce Harper took a swing at one point. I forget if it was last year or this year. And it was like, he's quieting it, quieting things down. He's starting to like not jump forward and try to create so much momentum in his swing. 
he's got like a, he's kind of like an odd year guy. He doesn't do well in even years. He's an, he's an odd year guy and it's an odd year. He's making a push for like MVP contention. I don't think the Phillies are going to do much in terms of playoff, but he's doing some things right now. Like five years ago, somebody asked me Harper or Trout. And I said, Trout steady Harper, more upside. Like there's more in there. Like if Harper just figures it out, he's a better hitter than Mike Trout. He I said yeah. it out loud. Yeah, I did it. Mm, that's yeah. I don't know about that one. Uh, if it got more consistent, it would be because there's there's Harper's MVP or did he win the MVP or whatever it was? I yeah, I got it pulled up. Yeah. He went uh, three thirty with forty two uh, OPS of eleven oh nine. And Trout ain't never done that, dog. Trout ain't never gone three thirty. Mm, I'll pull it up. Ain't never gone three thirty. I'm gonna tell you right now, Mike Trout. Has gone 315. No, 330. 326, 323, 315, 306, 312. He's a career 305 hitter. You're welcome. Harper's I said it. A career, I win. I mean, we're talking 4%. Hey, I said he ain't never gone 330. I won wrong. Facts. Randy He's Moss. Gone 330. Celebration. Uh, the, 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 Phillies, the Phillies' lack of other parts on that team is going to hurt him. Correct. I yeah. mean, he's got, what, 67 RBI? Like, he's having his best year since, what, 2017? He's only got 60-something yeah. RBIs? He's hit, like, what is it, 29. 21 homers? 21, 21 homers, homers like 49 19, RBI. Like, 20, 21 homers, 19 solo shots? I mean, it's something really high. Yeah, it's like that. That's hard to do. <laughs> like, ain't getting, yeah, that dude ain't getting pitched to with nobody on, with people on. That just ain't happening. On base is 414. That's pretty good. Mike Trout is – I mean, Mike Trout's career OPS is – a thousand two, Harper's is nine oh six. I told you. You got to take Trout. You have to take. Trout. Uh, there's no question in my mind that Mike Trout is a better baseball player. You think Harper's got like a higher? Ben, ben so higher, Harper is a higher than Harper. Higher ceiling, higher ceiling, lower floor. Sure, sure. I don't know. When's the last time Trout's had a full, healthy? When he was 24 was the last time, full healthy season. When he was 23. He hit 41. Hey, hey, no offense, but this dude been out with a calf strain for two, three months, whatever. Yeah, How long do you have that. a calf strain for? I don't know. He's... I don't know. There was a report written the other day about the uh, about the training staff. I saw Madden was talking about that because he's not the first person that they've said was going to be out for a little while and has been out like double the time that the medical yeah. staff said that they were going to be out. So, hey, exactly. you never got to talk about the astrophysicist. I know we had to skip it. Oh, we to, we're gonna have to do a part two. Yeah, we. I know you guys are doing a lot with the uh, the high yeah, speed camera and the yeah, pitch design. I feel like we covered a lot of pitch design stuff, and we're we're like forty five minutes over the time I expected to be done. So that's <laughs> producer right, Patrick's so mad at us. He does this every week. He's like, "Why do you guys talk so much? Stop." No, that's good. I know you guys. We'll we'll have to do a follow up with pitch design. Um, but I I know you guys are doing some crazy stuff with with understanding pitching, which I thought you covered a decent we, amount. We are, we are. I'm excited about it. Excited to learn some stuff. How, I'll, give you a nugget. I'll give you a nugget. So you said, you called me out. You called me out. You said, I don't yep. say anything. Here's a nugget for you. Okay. And okay. softball, the ball can only go full. What a time to freeze. Yeah. What a time to freeze. Oh. He's that, giving us a nugget and then he froze. Oh, he, that had to be on purpose. No. That was incredible. Oh, types of pitch Wait, frozen? Now we got you back. You were frozen on like this. I'm back. Like, 
four. A good ten seconds. Yeah. Okay, you said I'm gonna give you a nugget. I got four, and then you throw for the whole thing. Four, four, four pitch types. So there's rise, there's rise, there's drop, there's there's sink. I'm sorry, sink, sweep, sweep, and arm side run. That's the that's 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 the only four directions that the ball can go. It can't, so, it can't go diagonal. No, that's not that's not a that's not a pitch type or not a pitch characteristic. There are also, I'll give you this one. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but I'll give you this one. There are six anomaly pitch types that you're looking for in softball for someone to have as something that you should consider taking them. There are six of them. It's powerful, man. There's six I'm, of them. I'm, what are they? We're, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but no. we but but I will tell you this. He tells on the six, I'll tell you on the six pitch types, we have a fresh, we have two sophomores and a freshman that have two of the six. Watch out for UTSA. And we, recruited, and, and we recruited them off of that. They have two of the six. I just need and, some gear, and you want, man. And I you want people to get Hawkeye. Now, if people if people get Hawkeye, they're, they're gonna you're, you're gonna show up to their field and they're gonna steal all your your information. Uh, dude, it, to took a, it took us yeah it took us a while to figure it took us four years to figure this part out so we've we've, we, yeah we've got uh-huh the three pitchers that we'll have this year and then the one that's coming have two of the six already without us even doing anything with them they already have it it's awesome so there's your there's your pitching there's your nuggets that i don't share out loud that there you go here we go well hey until next time <laughs> Bobby, I'm doing it. This is how we end every show, Carl. We got to say thank you first, Carlton. Thank thanks you for joining us. Thank I was going to say you. thank you. He was about to sign off without saying thank I you. I was going to say thank you. I was going to shut you up, and then I was going to say thank you. But now you said thank you. No, it was great talking to you, man. As always, I look forward to more. Appreciate you having me on, Texas. When you coming? I got yeah, a trip and a half planned right now. November for sure. Okay. Probably before that, end of September, mm-hmm. October. Okay. Good. Let me know when that's out. I'm recording. On that note.